DMZ episode 1818, Ken Rakowski, Los Angeles, California, Santa Monica, only a few miles away or kilometers away is William Quigley. Big Billy is like what we call him all the time. Big Billy and I are looking at what's going on in the crypto space, the altcoin space, the blockchain space, whatever the space is. It's the new currency, new internet space. We're here with you every single week, CoinDMZ. Get a hold of us. It's hello at CoinDMZ.com. William Quigley, will you please look at Bitcoin right now, $6,740. What? Hey, these things happen. The prices go up, the prices go down. Uh, personally, I think the price right now is uh, pretty stable. Sure, it could drop a little bit more, but I don't think it's going to. And, uh, you know, you have to understand what Bitcoin is ultimately about in order to have an opinion about should you buy it or not. And uh, I believe that Bitcoin as a pure store of value, just something people will use to transfer and hold, uh, money, large quantities of money, keep it incredibly secure, that use case alone justifies a very high price, certainly higher than it is right now. You're saying it's a good buy based upon what you just I said. I do. Okay. I can accept that. I can accept that. But here's... But, but like whenever we talk, we rarely do talk about at what price should you buy in or something because none of us have a crystal ball. But I always like to caveat what I say with as long as you have a holding period of call it three to five years. So if you don't need the money for three to five years, let me ask you this, Ken, do you think in the next five years, Bitcoin will be above the price it's at right now? Maybe double? Yes. Triple? I, I don't know, and I, but you and I bought into it when it was very, very low. So we've done well with it. I don't look at it as, oh, wow, I have so much in Bitcoin. I don't look at it at a day-to-day -day rate. I'm not a day trader on it, and it's long-term. And I would say, you're right, three to five years. Yeah, so to it's, make to, for our audience, so they understand, I bought it at 17000 I bought it at 14000 I bought it at 10000 I bought it at 7000 yeah. uh, In my business, I use Bitcoin, and so I'm constantly acquiring more Bitcoin, and then selling it or distributing it out to my customers. So, uh, you know, I have bought it at substantially higher prices than where we are right now, and I have no problem with that. This does go back to the idea of the supply of Bitcoin because I'm finding that people are saying, I wanna buy Bitcoin, I wanna buy it, and they're having a difficult time because I think we have two different sides of the spectrum. You got people that have bought it when it was below $1,000 that are holding onto it, hoping it's gonna go back up to that 18, 20,000. And then you got those people that bought it above 10,000 that wanna hold it saying, hey, it's gonna go back to where it was when I bought it. So the, the, the amount of Bitcoin that's out there, it's actually difficult to get, don't you agree? It, absolutely, and uh, maybe, maybe uh, one of these weeks we'll do a whole series about how Bitcoin gets traded all these thousands of exchanges where you can buy and sell it or things like uh, Bit, uh, uh, Coinbase, where you can use a credit card to acquire it, how that process works. Uh, but one thing you will notice is trying to acquire uh, even a modest amount of a lot of different cryptocurrencies on an exchange causes the price to go up a lot. And what that shows is that there, there's not a lot of sellers. And it there's not a lot of sellers. And that's what's creating a lot of the problems is because the sellers aren't out there. The buyers are there, but the sellers, the sellers are not. And I, I fully agree with you on that. Yes. So, so William, I, I want to talk about a couple yeah. of things before we dive yeah. into the headlines. And that is, I know you didn't pay attention to it, but Spotify, uh, which is that's the the music play. Is that the spot removal? No, no. Fabric. I, I love Spotify. I, I use Spotify multiple times a day. I have the family account, so my daughter has it. I have it. It did something that was a, a, a risk, but it certainly paid off for Spotify. Uh, they did what is known as a direct listing on the New York Stock Exchange. Yep. And this is something we normally don't see happen with big companies, do we? Oh, no, no, no. Too much, way too much at risk to do something like that. 
Well, it means that they don't take the professional organizations like a, uh, Morgan Stanley or whatever, the investment banking groups that know how to package, know how to do a roadshow, know how to take a company to go public, but there are exorbitant fees to go along with that. Plus, the major shareholders of the company have to lock in and hold on to their stock for a certain period of time before they're able to liquidate it or sell it. Yes, exactly. So any, any sort of IPO you typically do, uh, you hire an investment banking firm, they help you prepare a prospectus called an S1. You then do what's known as a roadshow, and you fly all over the world, and you say we're going to be listing our shares on the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. Uh, do you want to buy the shares we're listing? And you sell a certain amount of those shares. So you say, like in the case of Facebook, I think they valued the business at $100 billion and they sold $5 billion worth of stock, and that was all pre-sold. And then the stock, this new $5 billion of pre-sold stock, got listed on the exchange, and then it starts trading. And uh, uh, as you said, the investment bankers, in return for helping Facebook and other companies list their shares and find buyers for their shares, they take very high fees, and they also, restrict how many shares the employees and the founders of the company can sell. Typically they say you can't sell a single share for six months. And then there's a bunch of rules around how many shares can be sold after that based on the SEC's uh, regulations. But if you list your stock uh, using what's known as registered direct, um, you don't use any investment banker, you pay no fees, and basically, you just put your shares on the, the stock market and say, okay, you know, come on, come on, who wants to buy them? And most people would be afraid to do that because they don't know what the valuation would be. And, and most companies don't do, don't do IPOs very often, you know? So uh, there's a lot of mystery around them. In this case, Spotify has been around a long, long time. They had very good management team, and they just decided this was better for all of the existing shareholders. And uh, it's so far anyway, I think it's worth what, $25 billion? It looks like it worked. $25 billion, and a lot of organizations that we've been hearing about are deep investors from Tencent to Tiger Global, Universal Music, Sony BMG, and they're able to get their investment out right now right now, which is incredible. Uh, the guy that really did well is Daniel Eck. I mean, he has, what, almost 26% of the company. He's walking away with, you know, six, seven billion dollars if he wanted to. But here's the reason why I'm bringing this up. We talk about ICOs, initial coin offerings all the time. And one of the nice values of an initial coin offering is the investors or the people that are part of it are able to get their money or funds out of that ICO fairly quickly. Now, they're not giving up equity. We know that. But this was one of the biggest issues when it came to an IPO was I have to wait so long to get any money out of my company. This, what Spotify did, they proved that differently. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, it is, I would call it a privilege. Uh, it's a privilege in the sense, uh, it, it turns out small companies that can't get an investment banker to help them will do these registered directs. Um, but big companies, it's typically considered uh, a risky move and it would be unseemly for a big company to do this. It's like, oh, you know, not yeah, but What's interesting, William, to yeah. just tell me this, since Spotify is a known company, since Spotify has a platform, meaning the Spotify player, they have their own broadcast mechanism. They have their own, let's call it marketing tools that are inherent in front of the potential investors to lure them in to buy a share or as many shares as they want. That's a rarity also having that type of broadcast mechanism. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and you don't really think of Spotify in that way, right? You, you, you really think Spotify as a, as a music app, but obviously they have a lot. How many members do they have? How many how many subscribers? 
I want to say it's somewhere around 30 to 40 million, but here's the big number. They save more than $300 million in just fees. Now go to the direction of now being a venture capitalist. You're a VC, you have a company, you uh, have the opportunity to go IPO potentially maybe if the company's big enough to do a direct listing or to, to do an ICO. Uh, right now ICOs are still fairly risky and I'm going to suggest maybe a VC is going to feel uncomfortable with that. Do you agree? Uh, it, it is risky. It's risky in the sense that they're still relatively new. I was, you, as you know, I was involved in the very first ICO, an initial coin offering with Mastercoin, which was sort of like the predecessor to uh, Ethereum. And uh, of course, we didn't call it an ICO then. It was just, hey, we're, we're give us, send us some Bitcoin. We're going to go build something, and then we'll send you whatever we build. Um, uh, that is, it was risky in the sense that very few people could figure out, including me, like, how is this going to work? And of course, there really weren't any exchanges. Mount Gox had been shut down. So uh, the unknowns are where the risks are. Um, so generally speaking, and uh, investors particularly venture capitalists who whose money they're not investing right they're not investing their own money they're investing uh, their limited partners money mm-hmm. and so they have to be very cautious and, and that's that's the reason why this was somewhat unusual because um you know there are venture capitalists involved in spotify but clearly i'd say the spotify management team was able to convince them that this was a good way to go personally i would much rather do an ico i would do an ico first had i been spotify i would have done an ico and then if i needed additional capital i would have done an ipo yeah but now being a venture capitalist with an ico in the current language that exists today, and everything is still very fluid, you have no veto power as a venture capitalist with an ICO, do you? If you mean if a company decides to do an ICO and I am uh, on the board of directors, but I don't control the board, then that's right. I couldn't prevent the management team, nor would I want to, from doing an ICO. Well, venture capitalists right now are grappling with this whole complexity of doing this ICO by adding their their own language to these term sheets that go in their favor. Because generally these ICOs, from what I've seen, and maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong, it generally on the ICOs goes to the founders and co-founders and not the funders. Where in most companies that go IPO, the funders get the money first, not the founders. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So we'll watch watch what happens. We just wanted to bring that up. It was a very exciting week when we saw Spotify do this. Uh, last thing before we go to the headlines. I'm not sure. William, have you been to Australia? Yes. You've been down under. Got it. Uh, Brisbane, which is uh, a, a great little town. They are now super excited. Their airport is the first crypto airport where you can buy from coffee to tickets to everything at the Brisbane airport utilizing Ethereum, uh, let's see, Bitcoin and Dash. I think it's pretty amazing, right? We finally have one place, at least one, where you know at least any type of, of at least those three coins you can use to buy stuff. Is this just a novelty or do you think this is going to be the ongoing trend? It's a total novelty and it probably doesn't make any economic sense. But I'm (laughs) glad they're doing it. And the reason is, as our listeners know, I think we've talked about this. um, Generally speaking, you don't need Bitcoin or Ether or Dash, all great coins, by the way, but you don't need them to buy stuff. My credit card and my cash works perfectly well in a gift shop in the Brisbane airport, right? So why would I want to screw around with cryptocurrencies? Uh, It's sort of force-fitting these things in a place they're not needed. Uh, I think it's kind of nice that they do it, but this is more of a gimmick. If I am with the Russian mafia, isn't this a benefit? Because I could get a croissant now utilizing crypto. You're not going to get KYC'd, yeah, with when you buy your croissant. So that's a big, big value add. You're right. See? 
I'm going to actually, well, not me, but my friends that are in the Russian mafia are going to be going down to Brisbane to get their croissants. So we have a lot to talk about when we come back. We'll be looking into this whole story, if it's true or not true, regarding Facebook launching their own coin. Google places a ban on Chrome mining extensions. Looks like the Iranian government saying no, no, no to Telegram. The coin Tron is outperforming many other altcoins. It looks like Intel stepping in the game with their own new crypto mining chip. What's an airdrop? Free coins? And we have listener email. A lot happening on episode 18 of Coin DMZ. Episode 18, Coin DMZ, William Quigley, Ken Rakowski. Hello at CoinDMZ.com. That's how you could hunt us down, find us. We're all over the world traveling, of course, talking about what's going on in the crypto space. William, where's your next big conference? Where are you going to be? What's next? What's what's on the Quigley agenda? Uh, I think the next one, I was at one today. I think the next one is tomorrow in San Francisco. It's Block Con to the Future. Block Con to the Future. I am... It, this one is on a... Uh, an old aircraft carrier in the Alameda um, Marina what? in San Francisco. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. I'm at the Future yeah. of Blockchain, the Future Blockchain Summit, which is in Dubai, May 2nd and 3rd, I'm all excited about. And I'll give you more information on that later on. I hope we all can hang out while we're out there. It's a pretty incredible panel that will be at that event. Again, hello, H-E-L-L-O, at coindmz.com that's where we're at so william back in january you and i were talking about how facebook is probably going to do something maybe they won't do something i said maybe they should find a way to pay their content creators i'm a content creator kind of like what steam does and around now and january when we talked about it facebook has lost about 50 billion dollars in value because of their um, privacy issues. And what I think it was something now in the lines of 80 million names were siphoned. I believe probably a lot more were. They just don't talk about it. Yeah. Facebook has gone through a roller coaster ride. If you look at the cover of Wired Magazine, it shows Mark Zuckerberg looking like he just got out of a boxing match being beat up so much. It does. <laughs> it's actually a really cool picture. Um, I don't think launching a coin would benefit them anytime soon or do you see a, a value there i could see a value in it but uh i think right first i i don't believe the rumors that facebook is you know there's an eminent facebook coin coming around i do think it could be valuable for Facebook, particularly on their messaging app, you know, Facebook Messenger. They must be aware that um, the messaging app in Japan called Line and the messaging apps in uh, China, like uh, WeChat, which is a giant one, I think it has over 500 million uh, registered uh, users, those groups are more than rumored. I think Line is saying it's going to come out with a coin, and a lot of people believe WeChat will. So uh, since Facebook owns one of the largest chat applications, which is WhatsApp, it's got over 600 million users, there's a lot of uh, transactions that you can do on these apps. If you look at something like uh, Telegram, which we'll be talking about a little later probably, it's doing its ICO. You look at uh, apps like uh, Discord, right, which is a, uh, uh, an app that has a lot of video gamers and a lot of people in the, uh, the mess who use it for messaging. Um, all, of these, all of these apps are talking about having their own coin. So it would make sense for Facebook to do that, and so it could pay content providers as well. I just think right now with all of the problems that Facebook is facing, it's, it, would be, it would be hard for them to pull this off. At this point in time, I agree, but understand everyone that's listening. If you're in the States, you're hearing Facebook, 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 you're hearing negative uh, information. I know that Mark Zuckerberg is actually gonna be in front of Congress, I think, next week. Uh, I'll bump into them probably, but here's the deal. A majority of Facebook users, the 2.2 billion people are outside the United States. They're utilizing yeah. it in India, Indonesia, massive audiences are out there and they could care less about the story that we're talking about in the States. Do you agree? 
Oh yeah, I agree. They they're probably not even aware. And uh, and for the most part, uh, though, Facebook is probably not monetizing the private information of all of those other people outside of the United States because it's hard to monetize them. Maybe some of the European countries, but it's, it's hard to monetize uh, in countries where you know the the GDP is pretty low and. Uh, uh, advertisers wouldn't pay a lot for the names and purchasing behaviors that uh, of the users that Facebook could provide. So it's a few countries in the world where they can really make a lot. And one of those is the United States. So if you look at the flag companies, let's actually not, it's expanded even more. So let's say Facebook, then we have Microsoft, which would be LinkedIn. You got Amazon, you have Google, you have Netflix. If you look at those big players, of all those, the one that, and Apple, throw Apple in there too, of all those, the one that probably needs a coin more than anyone would be Amazon. Do you agree with me? Uh, I guess what I would say, no, I don't agree with you. Really? Because you use the word need. No, what uh, would, would do, would do out of those would probably be more aggressive on a coin would be Amazon. Probably, probably, yeah. Though I think, uh, Let's face it, Amazon knows how to make money and people are comfortable with the way it makes money. It finds you products and it either sources them through other online merchants or it sources them itself and it delivers them to you. Microsoft, you buy software, you buy Xbox, <clears throat> whatever people buy from Microsoft, they're comfortable with it. Facebook, you see, it's always been murky for a lot of people. Wow, I have this free website that I get to, you know, converse with and interact with all my friends. Most people don't consciously think, how does this free service make money? And it's worth $550 billion, or it used to be. Why is that? Well, because it was taking everything you did and it was putting it through machine learning algorithms and it was predicting what sorts of products and services you would likely be receptive to. And it was selling that information to third parties who would then try to sell those things to you. And it's turned, it turns out people are uncomfortable with that as a business model. And are they uncomfortable enough where they'll all uh, delete their Facebook account? I don't know. But it certainly is a, is, a, is a shot across the bow to Facebook and other companies that this business model of selling the private information of people who are kind of tricked into using a free service so you can collect the information, this is going to go away. And, you know, depending on whatever analogy you want to use, there's a lot of them, uh, you know, people are either like, oh, I don't mind what Facebook does to downright like horrified. It, they're particularly horrified, by the way, when Facebook said, oh, all of those messenger, Facebook messenger comments you wrote, we looked at every single one. Yeah, but they do that with Gmail. All your Gmail they and Google. Do. Is, they do, right? they it, do. See, Google, Google makes money in a different way. Facebook makes its money selling your privacy. That's the only way it makes money. And that's the problem. Interesting. By the way, just so you brought it up, Facebook currently is worth 462, eh, $463 billion. It still Mark blows Zuckerberg my mind. Mark going to have to sell his house. <laughs> it's a very modest house. Uh, Google <laughs> is at $716 billion. Apple is at $877 billion. Still blows my mind. I'm I'm waiting for Amazon to eclipse eclipse Apple soon. That's I'm going to tell you within a year it'll happen. Within it'll, a year. Within a year. And is that because is that because Apple will collapse or because Amazon will will increase in value? I believe Amazon will be a billion dollar company. I believe Amazon is going to go off and buy a brick and mortar retailer like a Nordstrom's. I'm waiting for that one to happen. I think their Whole Foods acquisition is very, very interesting what they're doing. I think their 360 brand, 365 brand, which is their own brand. And they have a store in Santa Monica. I'm not sure if you've been to it yet, William. It's their own Whole Foods brand store. Uh, designed by uh, Amazon. Have you been to it? I have not. 
Yeah, it's right off of Pico. It's pretty fascinating. But I have a feeling. What do you think the chances? What do you think the chances are that Barnes and Noble is going to acquire Amazon? <laughs> yeah, but last thing regarding Amazon, I just want to bring this up, and it's really important. Amazon has hardly made an impact in Asia yet. They're not in Korea. They're not in Indonesia. They're they're very sparsely in India. Just wait till they touch those areas. Watch Amazon. It's a trillion dollar company. That's my perception. The first one. Hey, since we're talking about big companies, and G, you know what? what? Yeah, you know what? Uh, maybe at that point they'll actually make money since they never have. They don't want to make money. It's only about just massive expansion and global dominance. Come on. They do it on volume. That's it. And and we've always admired that because it wasn't about profit. It was about expansion. Very interesting stock. Hey, um, Google is doing what all the other big portal platforms are doing, and they're saying we need to stay kind of further away from crypto. Uh, and we're going to actually take it one step further, and that is anything on mining extensions inside Chrome. What does that mean specifically? Uh, it's, it's really not anything, but everybody, I, I think, a lot of people know that if you have a Google browser, a Google Chrome browser, which Google stole, by the way. Um, but anyway, if you have a, it was an open source project, so Google... Uh, Chrome browser, you can add pieces of software to your browser. We call them extensions that do little things, shopping lists and, you know, whatever. Uh, one of them was uh, an ability to turn your computer into a Bitcoin mining operation. Now, you wouldn't make much, trust me, <laughs> but uh, some people like doing it. I think Google's reason for, the, for not wanting us is they're afraid of malware, meaning like um, malicious software that people might download when they load up these, these Google extensions. And let me just make a brief commercial here. The Google Chrome store is a cesspool of malware. Oh, absolutely. It is a cesspool. And uh, one thing that really annoys me about Google is unlike Google Play, where if you want to install an app in the Google Play Store, uh, it takes an act of Congress. They want to know your company name. They want your bank records, your tax returns, uh, your social security number, copy your passport. They want all that because they make money in the Google Store. They don't make money in the Google Chrome extension store. It's free. And as a result, they don't really police it. And as a result, bad guys put malicious software in the Google Chrome extension store, people inadvertently download it. They'll do things like they'll uh, they'll call a Chrome extension, uh, you know, the Walmart price checker, and you're like, oh, okay, let me let me use that. But in fact, it's malicious software that steals your passwords. And Google has done a poor job of policing this. They have. So I thought it was kind of amusing that they were claiming they wanted to shut down the chrome extensions used for bitcoin mining because they've never done anything before uh, a couple other things uh, if you do run those extensions which i have tried they are massively taxing on your computer i mean they use oh, all yes. my research it's insane what it does and two more things if you use the chrome browser which i believe is the dominant browser now remember you're in google's territory so if you don't like software that looks at keystrokes and looks at anything like that, theoretically, when you use Chrome, Google is watching what you're doing. Most people don't realize yep. that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. And YouTube and YouTube. Well, yeah, but Chrome, you can run YouTube inside Chrome. You, what I'm trying to say is, Chrome is basically a a a tool for Google to know what you're doing. Last thing, and that is. The apps that tend to steal most of your information, as people don't realize this, are anything within the religious space, like Bible verses, uh, anything around the Quran. If you download those tools, which you think they'd be very spiritual and very helpful, they're there just to siphon your information. So be very cautious. Oh, my God. I know. People oh don't know my. that. Oh, my All God. Of my <sighs> Amish extensions. <laughs> I, I do like your Amish porn stuff that you got going on there. All right. So let's talk about Iran after I just did a segue from porn. 
So Telegram, which of course had a very successful ICO, I think they raised almost $1.8 billion. It's mind blowing. Um, the Iranian government, as they have done in the past, when it came to the Arab Spring, they made sure that all forms of different uh, types of communication are going through their censorship process. And since Telegram is an encrypted platform, they are making sure Telegram is blocked in Iran. This doesn't surprise me, by the way. Yeah, of course it doesn't. Totalitarian governments do not like technologies that free their people to express themselves, to express discontent. I mean, you know, if an app is banned by North Korea and Iran, there's a pretty good chance you and I would say that app is doing God's work. <laughs> okay, and I, maybe they are. I still can't figure out what the business model of Telegram is. I really can't, William, and why they need $1.8 billion to do anything. But maybe the Iranian, yeah. you figured it out? Well, uh, well, yeah, I've read the white paper. So uh, Telegram, which again, to our audience, it's a messaging app. Think of like WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger, but it's a messaging app that really became adopted by cryptocurrency enthusiasts. And a lot of the reason for that was because Telegram is can be anonymous and Telegram is very good about hiding uh, your information, encrypting your information so bad guys can't know what you're saying. You can imagine if you are an Iranian protester and you want to stream a live video or you want to create a group of uh, people who also believe in, you know, freedom. If you are if you are using you can't you certainly don't want to just get on an unencrypted Internet app and use that. So Telegram, there are other apps out there, but Telegram is is particularly good. And what are they raising $1.7 billion in an ICO for? They are creating uh, the Telegram network. And this network is going to be almost like, a, a, like a, a, a small global internet system where people will be able to um, share content. The content can't be censored. So you can imagine all the places that like to, to censor content. You won't be able to do that. And... You'll also be able to do things like exchange tokens because they want to have in their app a built-in crypto exchange, uh, a place to store your tokens. So it's really, it's a global ecosystem for all things related to crypto and content. And, and, I, and I'm sure later on in future episodes, we'll be talking about more about content. I think the really big idea for blockchain in 2018 is content. And you can see that with Facebook. Facebook, you, people can put their content up there. By the way, Facebook owns that content, even if it's your family portrait, and they will use it and uh, uh, sell your privacy to, to advertisers in order to make a buck. So the idea of a network that isn't like that and where you can communicate with whoever you want without being snooped on, I think that's a powerful idea in twenty in 2018. How does somebody find somebody on Telegram? Uh, you, your phone number. So I, I, I just want to make sure, should I just forget about 106274? Do you know what that is? Uh, was that like the way to cheaply uh, do long distance? <laughs> no, 106274 is my ICQ number. Should I not use that anymore and give that out? Am I done with uh, that? Well, yeah, I mean, Ken, I think you got to go back to the well. <laughs> the well. Oh, my God. I will. I'll go to the well. Me and Mark Cantor would hang out over there. 106274, don't use that anymore. And then why is it when I go to Dubai, um, my WhatsApp works, but my friends that live in Dubai and have a Dubai phone number, they can't use WhatsApp. They can't make phone calls. I can uh, why are, if I'm in that country, even though I have a different carrier, why is it not blocked? That I don't know because I've, uh, I never, I'm not a really a WhatsApp user. No, but um, I was saying across the board, it's not just that. Like when I'm in, uh, 
in other countries, certain apps don't work in that country with the person that has the local carrier. Even though I'm roaming to that character, I, carrier, I still can use certain apps. I, I've never could understand that. Maybe a list. Uh, well, I, I know you can't use WhatsApp. I think maybe it's been relieved, but at one point, uh, China clamped down and wasn't letting people use WhatsApp. So, uh, I mean, it's very easy for you know an ISP or our telco to detect an app that you're using and block it. Yeah, unless you're using a VPN, but even China says they're coming down on that. Hey, every once in a while we play the uh, the name game, if this coin is real or not. Last show, William got 100%. He rocked it. He realized the whack-a-mole and the lucky charms are not real coins, and I was very impressed with that. I would probably have in earlier shows said Tron, T-R-O-O-N, is that a real coin or a fake coin? Um, it's a real coin, and Tron's actually doing pretty good. What the heck is Tron? Uh, Tron is a uh, something we were just talking about. It is a, uh, uh, call it a, a blockchain platform uh, that you can share content on, mostly entertainment-related content. Well, I've looked at the entire market. I'm looking at it right now, and everything's in the red. Bomb, 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 red. But then I look at Tron. I mean, maybe it's just a, a little flux of what's going on. Tron right now is up 28, almost 29%. Is it just because somebody said something nice about it and things are a peak? Or is there something legitimate why we should be looking to Tron? So I don't, I don't own Tron, but have you checked whether it was added to any new exchanges? Mm, and we're going to talk about that a little later, but that's probably one of the secrets. By the way, our buddies over at EOS, EOS is up right now almost uh, 11.5%. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, they were supposed to do an announcement today. Oh, well, that would make sense then. Okay. So uh, I don't know. So you're saying a lot of times when something is added to an additional exchange, there's a oh, yeah. things go up in, in price and value. Yeah, because you, you've just exposed a brand new set of buyers to your coin. Uh, and remember, sometimes like like it's very hard for a person who's not a resident of of uh, South Korea to get on and use the South Korean crypto exchanges. Uh, you don't have a uh, uh, the South Korean currency, the won. You don't have a won denominated bank account, right? Um, and so. Uh, uh, that's why you can't literally get, especially if you're a U.S. citizen, a lot of exchanges outside of the U.S. don't want U.S. citizens as customers. So, uh, But if that token you wanted isn't listed in the U.S. exchange, and now it is, uh, it's on Bittrex or you know Kraken or Polo or something, then, and you wanted it, now you're buying it, that increases the demand. Interesting. Okay. Hey, buddy, do me a favor. I know we're going to get a bit technical on this. When we say uh, a measurement from older computer days, we used to talk about MIPS, you know, millions of uh, transact or millions of instructions per second, then gigs, uh, gil or gips, <laughs> bips, MIPS, and now we're talking about a different term that is more around graphic, uh, and that's GPUs. What's a GPU? Uh, it's a uh, general processing. It's a, it's a graphic processing or general processing, but that's the way to do measurements around how fast something is. And what is an ASIC? What does ASIC mean when it comes to chips? Okay, so uh, you've got two types of uh, computer chips. You got more, but let's call them in two buckets. You have a general purpose um, computer chip. That's like what you have in your computer that your laptop or your desktop, it's a general purpose uh, computer chip. Right. What does it do? It, it stores your password information. It allows you to run on the internet. It, it, it allows you to download software and, and it, it does a lot of general things. And the nature of things that allow you to do a lot of stuff is that they allow you to do a lot of stuff poorly because they're they're like a Swiss army knife. A Swiss army knife allows you to do a lot of stuff. But if you want to cut that fillet just so, you probably need a steak knife, right? Well, ASICs, ASICs, ASICs are like those specialized cutting knives, if you will. An ASIC is an application-specific integrated circuit. So an ASIC is designed to do one thing, 
one thing only. It does that one thing remarkably well. And that's usually doing some sort of computer process, some sort of mathematical calculation. It does that and it only does that. When you hear about people doing mining, Bitcoin mining and uh, now Ethereum mining, but what they're doing is they're using a special type of semiconductor chip, an ASIC, and that ASIC was made to just uh, process SHA-256, the SHA-256 algorithm. That's the, uh, the algorithm that uh, secures Bitcoin. And so when ASICs were first made and applied toward Bitcoin mining, they just destroyed all the people who were using like regular computer chips out of, uh, you know, their laptops, mm -hmm. uh, because these things are specialized so they can be thousands of times faster at doing Bitcoin mining than a general computer chip, the one that would be in your computer. All right. So right now there's probably three companies that are competing for that space, NVIDIA, AMD, and Intel. Those are the big players, right? Well, yeah, and they've got certain types of chips that were used also for mathematical calculations. That's uh, uh, graphic processing. When you know all these great images in a video game and all that, that takes massive processing. And, and so those three companies are the leaders. Uh, Nvidia, I would say, is the best at um, uh, helping computers process graphics. And it also turns out they're pretty good at processing things like. Uh, Bitcoin mining. Interesting. And everyone's trying to do whatever they can to grab that market share, being the chip makers and these uh, uh, computing companies, because that's maybe the next big forefront. But quite frankly, if you and I wanted to be a miner, hey, let's go become an Ethereum miner or a Bitcoin miner. It's a pretty expensive thing to do, isn't it? Oh, yeah. This, this, and by the way, you say Ethereum miner, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, up until a few days ago, it would have been uh, it wouldn't have been true that you could use an ASIC to mine Ethereum. Ethereum was actually designed to be ASIC proof. You would not be able to use an ASIC to mine it. You would you would have to use uh, a GPU. But um, uh, Bitmain, a big uh, crypto mining operation, has apparently developed a chip that will. Uh, uh, mine uh, Ethereum. It's an ASIC that will mine Ethereum. Uh, now, by the way, uh, Ethereum is going to change the way they reward people who help secure their network from mining to something called proof of stake. So uh, proof of work is what we call it when you get paid Bitcoins for uh, um, doing computing that helps secure the network. Uh, proof of stake is uh, using the coins you already own to kind of stake them oh. and uh, put them, post them as the bond, if you will. That's the model lots of uh, blockchains are going to. So this Bitmain ASIC will be useful for probably the next nine months. And at the end of this year, Ethereum will change the way it does its uh, proof of work. And uh, these chips will be worthless. Okay, and I feel the same right now because I've been mining Ripple with my TRS-80 from Radio Shack, and nothing's happening. It's yeah, very that's difficult. A great computer. Do you get some free batteries when you visit the store? I, I, well, I have everything on my cassette tape backup, all the Ripples that I've uh, mined. By the way, you can't mine Ripple; it's already mined in William. And I you can use my TRS-80, but it will take seven million years to get one ripple <laughs> well, you know when i was in college if you told me you mind ripple i would have said wow you know Give ripple some... tastes pretty good yeah, yeah mad and dog I you want some mad dog 2020 i know what you would say <laughs> hey when we come back we have one big thing we want to tell you about and that's all around the free coins that are falling from the heavens into your wallet that you may not even know about and of course, we got some listener email. This is episode 18, Coin DMZ. William and I will be right back. William Quigley, yes, that's William Quigley. He is a smart guy, venture capitalist. He knows his money. He's been in crypto for a long time, and he is always here on Coin DMZ with me. I'm Ken Rakowski. I'm just, uh, I, I, I'm one of his 
disciples. I follow William all over the world. He's so amazing to me, and I hope you appreciate him too. It takes a lot of time for us to do the show all the time, and we'd love to get your contributions by just sending us email, and that's hello at coindmz.com. Last show, we talked briefly about the idea of the airdrop, and we're not talking about Apple's little airdrop, but kind of something a little similar to the idea of opening up your phone, your device, to be able to get almost what would be perceived as free money, but airdrop uh, is, it's a fairly new phenomenon, right? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, a kind of a comparison to video gaming, but yeah, for those of you who uh, uh, have uh, some popular cryptos like Bitcoin and Ethereum, you may not even know it, but you've also been the recipient of other coins. And that's because if a coin is built on the Bitcoin blockchain or the Ethereum blockchain, uh, people can send you little gifts. And what happens is um, when a company does an ICO, they have a new coin and they want to spread the love and make everybody aware of it, consider it like free samples. Uh, they will send to the to all of these addresses, so the Bitcoin addresses and Ethereum addresses, they will send um, uh, a few coins. And not always, but every once in a while, you know, those coins are worth a lot. Usually they spread them out so thin that, you know, you get a tiny slice. But every once in a while, um, these things can be worth a lot. And in fact, uh, can in, in a future episode, I will mention, I can't remember it now, I'll mention a new app you can use to help you know how many of these free coins have already been sent to you. And I'll give you a great website to look at. It's airdropalert.com. That tells you the up-and-coming airdrops that are going to happen, the active ones that are going on right now, and the past ones, so you can see different airdrops. Now, William, how do you get exposed to that? How do you? How does somebody even get your your wallet address? How how do they become aware of all well, this? Well, because you have what's called, uh, and 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 I, in some ways, I wish we used different language uh, in the crypto space, but everybody uh, there there's a public address and a private address, a, a public key and a private key. And uh, airdrops are sent to your public key. It's uh, Think of your public key like your email address. And the word public should tip you off that it's something everybody sees. So it's a long alphanumeric set of digits. And um, uh, they will just send, uh, you know, one, one whatever the token is, one wax or, or one dash, you know, or one Ami's go they'll send one or a fraction of one to all the addresses. And so uh, if you then go check, it might be, let's say it's an Ethereum-based coin, you can go on something called Etherscan and uh, you know, use your, uh, your, your public address and see whether you have any of these extra coins. And uh, these airdrops happen a lot. Now, I should make one caveat about what I just said. Um, uh, this requires that you hold your coins. You hold your coins in a wallet or you hold your coins right on the, right on the blockchain. If you hold your coins in an exchange, let's say like Coinbase or Bittrex or Poliniex, well, they receive those airdrops. <laughs> and the way it works is, uh, periodically, they decide based on just their own judgment whether it's worth scraping up all of these coins, these airdrops, and giving them to their customers. And uh, sometimes there's a lot of rancor because uh, the exchanges say, yeah, we're not going to do that. And then people are like, what do you mean you're not going to do that? We want our coins. So if you're worried about whether or not you're going to get a certain airdrop, it gets pre-announced and you really, really withdraw your coins, your Ethereum or Bitcoin from the exchange and hold them in a paper wallet or your own wallet. And therefore, you will be able to get access to those, those uh, uh, airdrops. Otherwise, it's up to the exchange to decide if they want to pass them along to you. That's incredible. Great, great information there, William. I appreciate it. And again, hello, H-E-L-L-O, at 
coindmz.com because we get a lot of letters. Yep, our mailbag is full, and William and I would love to go after your questions. We got a few of them. Again, it's a, a global phenomenon with us, if you notice. People are sending us emails from all corners of the globe, which is a nice thing. I'll go after the first one. William, this is coming from Kimmy from Carbondale, Carbondale, Illinois. It says, hey, hey, coin DMZ guys, how can I know what's the difference between a real or a scam coin? Um, other than you two guys, I don't have any good sources. Also, by the way, I enjoy your first video episodes on YouTube. When are you going to do more? Uh, yeah, we did three episodes on YouTube. If you go to CoinDMZ, you could watch William and I banter back and forth. We haven't done any since then because we're too lazy to get together. Um, but William, this goes back to the idea of a scam or not a scam. We talked briefly about Facebook and how there's some news stories floating around. Facebook might be doing a coin. You said right away, it sounds a bit scammy. doesn't really sound true, but you know it because you've been in the industry long enough and you can kind of smell a rat before it even shows its face. Other people don't have that experience. How can they find out what's real and what's not? Uh, I would say, man, this is one of the toughest problems in the space because there isn't a very like well-worn regulation and path to how you offer a security, right? Uh, you've got the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. If you want to sell securities to the general public or to accredited investors, there's this whole process you got to go through. It costs a lot of money. It's very, very, you know, uh, specific about what you have to disclose. Well, um, uh, because uh, blockchain is permissionless, anybody can do an ICO. You don't need to ask anyone's permission. Uh, yes, it is open to potential scam. And um, here's what I would do if I uh, were, were you guys. Uh, if you hear about an ICO and uh, you're not sure, go to Bitcoin Talk. Uh, go to Telegram. Telegram is that messaging app. See if they have a channel. Let's say the coin is called uh, Honest Coin, right? But you're not sure if it's honest or a scam. Well, obviously, look at the website, right? If they don't have a website, I would not invest. I, I, you know, some people may say, "Well, what does it matter?" It matters because if you don't have a website, it seems like you're trying to hide something. And see who they think uh, who these people are. Now, this is where it gets really tough because. It is, it is uh, sometimes the case that when you look up the management team on these uh, websites of scam coins, mm -hmm. they link you to a real LinkedIn bio. And LinkedIn, for those who don't know, it's like an online resume. So they'll link you to a guy who's like a professor of computer science at MIT. And you'll think, wow, what a great you know chief technology officer. But in fact, they just used his LinkedIn. So it, <laughs> it is incredibly hard. Uh, but the other thing is there are a lot of people out there who are like vigilantes who want to make people aware when bad coins are out there. Go to Twitter. Go to Reddit. Reddit is a great place. As I said, go to Telegram. And if a bunch of people are saying, hey, everybody, it's a scam, then, and those people are not anonymous and just trying to, you know, shit talk the coin, then I'd say you might want to hold off. Got it. Good advice. Great advice. You're going to try to get this uh, next email. You got it? Yes, it is Alexi from Moscow. So being from Russia, we use the ruble, which for every 100 rubles gets you about $1.75 US, equal to a coffee and a bagel in a local cafe. My friends in the United States have Starbucks cards they use to buy coffee in the Starbucks that they go to. Is there a crypto card that does the same for retail shops around the world? <laughs> I'd rather use a crypto card instead of a credit card. Thanks. You know, Alexi, uh, there have been. Hey, there's, there's your Russian. I told you there's a Russian out there that wants to do this. Yes. So, Alexi, if you're listening, and not only uh, is it a good idea, it's an idea that uh, I co-founded with some other people, and we created Blade, B-L-A-D-E. Uh, Blade, by the way, doesn't is no longer active. Uh, it failed. 
And uh, it failed not because of any technical problem. It failed because no one wanted to use it. Now, to be fair, we were trying to launch it in 2014 and 2015. But what Blade allowed you to do, and there are other debit cards, is what we call them, that allow you to do this. You can put, let's say, uh, you know, half a Bitcoin into this debit card company. You deposit your Bitcoin, and then they credit your debit card with uh, whatever that is, you know, $4,000 worth of value. And every time you use this debit card, and it usually is through Visa or MasterCard payment network, they just sell uh, a little bit of your Bitcoin to pay for the purchases. That's what Blade did. And I thought it was a great idea too. It was a way to easily sell your crypto or use your crypto in day-to-day shopping without asking the person. And if they... And if crypto would go up, if Bitcoin would go up, would the value of what you have holding on that card go up? Absolutely. Also? So that was what was so cool about it. You could put one Bitcoin, let's say, when it was worth 100 bucks, into the into your account and spend it. And it was kind of like, you know, when Jesus kept on like pulling wine out of the barrels, um, you could just keep spending. But as cryptos kept going up in value, you kept having more. Right. It was a wonderful thing. But uh, William, did you get that analogy from one of the uh, extensions you downloaded <laughs> off of Chrome, one of the Bible extensions? I did. And for some reason, it's asking me for my private Bitcoin <laughs> keys. I'm not sure why. Um, All right. Donation, Let me let's just get. But but yeah. let's just do the yeah. last one. So there are cards, by the way. Uh, recently, Visa, the global payment network, started telling uh, people uh, uh, companies that use their payment network for these crypto cards that they were going to turn them off. But I do believe there are still a few out there. Wow. Okay. Last question, Kevin from Cape Town, South Africa. Why can't I find certain tokens or coins on different exchanges? Also says I've been using CoinLib. Oh, I like CoinLib IO over coin market cap there seems to be much more listings by the way have you checked out coinlib.io I, I, I saw this email message and i thought no i haven't checked it out i'm very curious uh i'm i'm pretty impressed by it it's got a lot on like 2700 different uh coins and tokens on it so it's coinlib.io but and then coin market cap so why can't i find certain tokens or coins on different exchanges why is that ken yeah why I'm going to ask you, why can't I find wax everywhere? Right. Tell okay. me why. I want to buy wax. Why can't I buy okay. it? Um, I like uh, uh, Jimmy Choo tennis shoes, right? I can buy them mm -hmm. at Neiman Marcus. I actually can't buy them at The Gap. I can't buy them at Bloomingdale's. I can't buy them at Nordstrom. And why? Well, because uh, those retail stores have lots of choices as to what they're going to raise, and they just haven't gotten around to that particular merchant's product. That is the same with cryptos. Each exchange is run by a group of people, and they, they curate what coins they want to put on their exchange. And sometimes they don't put on certain coins because those coins have no volume. So they have to have their... You know, their, their IT guys create accounts for these coins and they have to do all the back end, the back office stuff for them, but no one trades them. So that wouldn't make sense. And sometimes they just don't get around to it. They want to do it, but they're overwhelmed with a lot of other coins. You don't just add a coin to an exchange. You know, they too, by the way, can have to make sure it's not a scam coin. I know of an exchange okay. so how, that, that listed a scam how can, coin. So... This is the reason. Now, here's here's what I can tell you, though. Exchanges are just like other companies. If a bunch of their customers say, we want the wax token, you know what? They'll listen and they'll list it. So if you are unhappy because a token you really like is not listed on an exchange you like, you can write to them. You can put in a trouble ticket or send them an email. And literally these exchanges listen. Uh, if they can, they will add that token. I want a wax token to be easily bought instead of me calling you up at two in the morning, go and throw me some wax. Yeah, yeah, but you're always buying weird things with it. 
because it's wax. You can. By the way, William, that's one that's one of his companies that he's done incredibly well with. Uh, but Opskins, people want to find out more about Opskins, where do they go? Opskins.com. Go over there. And then if they want to find out about, more about wax, where wax. do they go? Wax.io. And if they want to find out more about you personally, where do they go? Is it a, a grinder address? What do Tinder you got? or grinder? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. He flips both left and right. I love all that. Hey, again, we're here with you every uh, single report at quickly report on Twitter. Have you done anything with that? A few tweets. Really? Your new hairstyle. Oh. Uh, I'm getting it done tomorrow, by the way. I'm uh, Ken Radio over at Twitter. That's it. That's enough from us. We appreciate you sharing time with us. And uh, we're here to always give you the updates of what's going on with crypto, blockchain, everything. It's literally the new internet. Coin DMZ episode 18. Hello at CoinDMZ.com. William Quigley, Ken Rakowski. Thanks a lot for listening to Coin DMZ. Oh, shit.